0: Turn to the uh, ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. We've made it to the end of the introduction. (laughs) And it only took us 15 lessons to get there. Chapter 10 marks a break, a change in in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 10, until you get to about chapter 29... You have what most people think of when they think of proverbs, which are the, you know, sayings of, you know, saying, saying, saying about particular topics. Prior to this, we have been dealing with wisdom and foolishness, and in particular, in the last couple of lessons, we've had wisdom personified as a woman calling out to people to come listen to wisdom. And we're going to conclude with the same picture today. And in fact, we see wisdom calling out to the people. And we also see folly calling out to the people. What we have seen in the book of Proverbs is the father telling the son, listen, son, pay attention. You're going to go into the world and there's going to be lots of voices calling out to you. Lots of voices calling to get your attention to follow one path or the other. And, son, once again, instructions father to a son son, follow the path of wisdom. Because down that path is life, and down the other path is death. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 9 Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn out its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the ways of understanding. This is wisdom calling out to the people. Now, Just for a contrast, jump down to verse 13, and let's read the opposite answer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious, but little do they know that the dead are there, that are guests are in the depths of the grave. We have two descriptions, and in some ways they're very similar. In each of them, a woman is calling out. Now, as we said at the very beginning, there is no implication that women are wise or women are fools. It's simply that he's writing a description to a young man and he knows that, for example, in chapter 5 when we dealt with the adulterous woman, it was the adulterous woman that would lead the young man astray. You could just as easily have written a story to a young woman about the adulterous man and it would have made perfect sense. Wisdom is the woman. Folly is the woman. Both are calling out to the young man. Both are in fact sitting in about the same place. Do you notice? It says that in verse 3 that she, wisdom, has sent out her maids and she calls from the highest point in the city. Where is the woman folly? Back in verse 14, she sits on a seat in the highest point of the city. (coughs) What is meant by the highest point in the city? Come on, this is the easy question. It goes downhill from here. Prominent public place. The implication is that both are present, both are in the public arena, and both are calling out for people to follow them. They're both there. You almost get the impression that they're neighbors living across the street from each other trying to attract who? Who are they both trying to attract? The simple Notice that it says, verse 4, wisdom says, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Verse 16, folly is talking, let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Could almost be the exact same verse. They're going after the same group of people. Remember back to lesson one when we discussed who the simple were. The simple are the naive, those who don't know any better. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we have the wise, those who are following the path of wisdom. We have the foolish, those who have rejected wisdom, those who are actively opposed to wisdom. And somewhere in the middle, we have the simple best illustrated by a child, a young child who just doesn't know. They need to be instructed. They need to be informed. But you and I both know people who are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, and still act like they're simple. Now, at some point, you begin to wonder whether they've crossed over from simpleness foolishness if they have refused to respond to the wisdom that's been given them but for the moment we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll just say they're simple they just don't know the truth and wisdom is calling out you who are simple you who lack judgment what does it mean to lack judgment they don't have the necessary wisdom and knowledge to judge the world correctly We make judgments all the time, but as we'll see, without the fear of the Lord, without an understanding, a knowledge about God, we are always going to make judgments incorrectly. The simple, because they are simple, are unable to make judgments that are right. Let you who are simple, let you who lack judgment, come to me. Both are calling out. Now, interesting question, and we'll try to answer it in a moment, but just start thinking about it. Here you are, the young man, standing in the middle of the street. On one side is the woman wisdom calling out to you. On the other side is the woman folly calling out to you. Now, you do know, right, that they don't have T-shirts that say, Wisdom and folly. They don't have big placards that say wisdom, folly. In fact, as you look at them, that woman folly may look very attractive. Once again, we saw this with the adulterous woman. The adulterous woman was attractive to the young man. So... How does the young man decide? How does the young man standing in the middle of the street looking at wisdom, looking at folly, make the decision which to follow? That is the $60,000 question. How do we learn to follow the right voice? What is each one of them offering? What is each one offering to us? Back to verse 1. Wisdom has built her house; she has hewn out its seven pillars. If you are familiar with, who was it? Lawrence of Arabia, who wrote his book The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Seven carries with it the idea of completeness. Wisdom has everything we need. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine; she has set she has also set Her table. I actually think that's an interesting verse. We have it in our minds sometimes, in our minds sometimes, that when we follow the things of God, what we're following after are dried breadcrumbs, you know, ill tasting medicine, stuff that is bound to be good for you because it tastes so bad, right? And some people have in their minds, that's what wisdom, that's what God, that's what Christ is calling us to. But that's not the picture at all. The picture is of a feast, a feast set before them, and wisdom saying, come on, this is here for you. And if you understand, you get to the book of Revelation... And what does all this end with? The feast. We're not looking at breadcrumbs. We're not looking at the droppings of a leftover meal. We're looking at a feast that wisdom has prepared and offered to us. But why don't we see it as a feast? Huh? What is folly? Offering to us. Look in verse seventeen. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Hmm. There's no discussion about the food per se. All that is discussed as that it is stolen and that it is in secret. I've told you the story before of Augustine in his book uh, in his confessions where he talks about stealing the pears from the neighbor's pear tree. And he did it. Well, the odd thing was he didn't like pears. But that mere fact that he wasn't supposed to do it drove him to steal and eat the pear that he didn't really want in the first place. But that sin nature in him says, I want... What I'm not supposed to have. And that's what the woman folly is offering the simple young man. Excitement. That which is stolen. That which is eaten in secret. You are part of our secret club and we are doing things we're not supposed to be doing. And don't you see this all over the place? where people are more interested in participating in illicit activity just so they can think they're doing something exciting. We see this in movies. We see this in young people. We see it in adults, too. Stolen water. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Once again, no discussion of the quality of the meal. No discussion about the meat or the fine table that has been set. All that is offered is the fact that you're not supposed to be doing it. Where did we first hear this? Did God really say, don't eat the fruit of that tree? Did God really say that? And Eve starts thinking, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Maybe... There's joy, there's knowledge, there's wisdom to be had by disobeying God. God is offering you dried breadcrumbs and Satan comes along and says, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret, now that's pleasure. If you look at it objectively, it doesn't make sense. We're not that objective creatures. We are fallen human beings who look at this and go, Hmm, that could be interesting. Let all who are simple, verse 4, Come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food, drink your wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding, What is the promise, ultimately, that is given to those who leave their simple ways and follow after wisdom? They will, in fact, live. It's as simple as that. They will, in fact, live. But look to verse 18. This is folly. These are the people who follow after folly. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Ultimately, ultimately, that is the end result. Following wisdom leads to life. Following folly leads to death. I'm waiting for somebody to argue with me. Go ahead. 50 years, from sixty two until two thousand twelve, we subtract three important things that might even allow a young person to do something right. We've taken prayer out of our public. schools We removed the reading of scriptures and also the Ten Commandments. They might even look at those things and might even think about doing right. We couldn't have that. and the end thereof is destruction. I would encourage you, if you have not done so, to read a book by C.S. Lewis entitled The Abolition of Man. Uh, I encourage you to read it, and when you get to the end of it and you don't understand it, I encourage you to read it again. Okay? It's a short book. Um, It is one of the few books that I finished reading and actually immediately reread because I didn't understand it. I now read it every year. And as I said, it's a very short, the actual book itself is only 100 pages long. But he has an illustration in there that is the exact point that was being made. And the picture is, is that we uh, denounce patriotism, for example. And then we're upset that no one's willing to die for their country. And that shocks us. And he ends the paragraph with the sentence... We castrate and bid the gelding be fruitful. We take away the sense of rightness from people, and then we're shocked that they're not righteous. We seem truly amazed. And the book is about truth and the relative nature of it, the relative nature as seen by the modern world. And basically he says, no, there is an absolute truth. And he's really talking about ethics is what he's talking about. And he begins with a discussion of school books for young kids and what they are teaching when they don't think they're teaching what they're really teaching. Yes? Yes? Yeah, you're out of the Oh, (laughs) Different results. Isn't that the definition of madness? To do the same thing over and over again and expect different results? Go ahead. It's C.S. Lewis, The Abolition of Man. And as I said, you'll have to read it a couple of times. Go ahead. Uh Uh-huh. It's in there. (laughs) Yeah. They all started out as uh, addresses of some sort, sermons or whatever, and they kind of grew into small books. We have wisdom calling out. We have foolishness calling out. What is required... For this young man standing in the middle to follow wisdom and not foolishness. Come on. Obedience. Obedience. To whom? To his father's instruction. That's an interesting point. It's a true point. It is the right answer. What we are acknowledging is that the simple need to be instructed. So the first thing the simple need to learn is to follow the instructions of certain people. Namely, biblically, their parents. They need help. To me it is fascinating. Fascinating. I don't know if you read up on this subject, but in the last 10 years, there have been all kinds of studies talking about the brains of young people, okay, the physical brain. And the reality is, is that it is continuing to modify itself and grow up into their mid-20s. So the observation is, why do young people do stupid things? Because their brains are still rewiring themselves but the implication of all these articles is therefore we shouldn't expect young people to do anything but stupid things because their brains are still forming and i'm sitting there going go look at ancient wisdom you can even put the bible aside for right now go get the sayings of confucius go get somebody else's ancient wisdom and what do they say Young people need to obey their elders because they're young people. It isn't because, well, their brains are forming, so let them do their own thing. They need to be instructed. But as I said, unfortunately, many of us become adults and we've refused to be instructed. No, we're not going to have a show of hands. And we're certainly not going to have a show of hands for people about their spouse. No. (laughs) We learn, in fact, we're going to see this in just a moment. We learn wisdom by having a little bit of wisdom. Does that make sense? Those who are wise learn more. So we have to start somewhere. Obedience. To those in authority over us. Yes, Will. The the hmm. The he was talking about the discussion in the newspaper the last several days about the lack of wisdom in young people uh, attending a particular university in our city <laughs> who we won't talk about. Well, I, didn't mean that to I know. I mean, just truth. It's just the truth. Young people do stupid things at times, okay? That's why they need to be instructed. And once again, as the comment was made about our society, our society is working every chance it gets to undermine that connection, to undermine the connection between elders and younger, younger and younger, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, I always get amazed I don't know how many movies you've seen this scene, okay, where the, young, the one young person wants to do something and the other young person kind of wants to do it, but their parents have told them not to. And the first young person turns to him and says, well, you're just going to do it because your parent says so? You know, the only biblical response to that is, duh, of course. But somehow in a movie, that's enough reason not to do something. Kind of strange. Go ahead. I was told uh, Friday night that I was talking to someone and I was mentioning the scoutmaster had come after me with a switch, <laughs> I left some red marks right across the back of my legs. And you should have seen the shock on the faces of the people I was talking about. That's just unbelievable, uncalled for. You know, somebody needs to be sued. The scoutmaster should have. I told him I said well, the scoutmaster did exactly what he said. It. He didn't hurt me. <laughs> We've discussed this before in here that, you know, when I was young, when I was in school, it never would have occurred to me ever in a million years that if I got into an argument with one of my teachers that my parents would take my side over the teacher. (laughs) It never occurred to me. Uh, They definitely would today. The teacher was the teacher. And they were adults. Go ahead. Oh. We're not even going to go there. If you haven't seen it on YouTube, there is a video of a father who got who had enough and he took his daughter's laptop out and took his 45 and put 9 rounds into the laptop. The police sho- afterwards the police showed up and when they realized that he actually owned the laptop, they said, "Fine." <laughs> so then child protective services came out because they thought it might be child abuse and they Heard the situation and said, Well, there might have been better ways to handle it, but that's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, David Barton had a, uh, a speech one time about historical treatment in our country, and I can't remember which one of the Adams's it was, but the young boy was reared so well that at age 14 he was so wise that he was an ambassador to a foreign country. To Russia. Mm-hmm. The one of the Adams is his son went as an aide to the ambassador, right? So it was a different era. Somebody back here had a comment on the back row. Of the second law of thermodynamics? It is in fact the second law of thermodynamics. Things tend toward disorder. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what what example did you have? Uh, I out something I've been and and I know but I it. Yeah, that. <laughs> Go ahead, <man>. mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But he wasn't. Yep. Yes, Jerry. Who is, this to? who is what directed to? Us. Who is us. You. <laughs> Me. Why? Why are you asking this question? It is addressed. His question is, who is this addressed to? And the answer is it's addressed to all of us. Do you not believe that? He's kind of shaking his head. <laughs> well, l- well let me let me address that in just one second, okay? In just one second. Before it hits 10:30, I will address that. I let this go on for a little while because all of us all of us could come up with list and list Of examples of the world today where foolishness seems to be winning. There is no problem finding the foolishness. The question is why do we have so much trouble finding the wisdom? For right now, let's forget. Everybody outside this room. We collectively are called to live lives of wisdom. You and me. As an example to the world around us. That's what we're called to do. Wisdom is there for us to learn. It is. As we said in lesson two and in lesson four and in lesson whatever number, wisdom is not some esoteric hidden thing that God doesn't want to show us. Wisdom is there. We don't want to listen. Too many times I have stood in the middle of the road and listened to the woman folly. When I should have been listening to the woman wisdom. What is the point of this? The nine chapters that we've covered in the book of Proverbs up to this point. The point is there are always voices calling out to us. Come this way. And we know for a fact. We know for a fact. That Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Christ, eventually started listening to the wrong voice. We know that. That should give us humility. That should give us pause when we begin to think, oh, I figured it out, and they're all wrong." We need to listen to the right voice. Now the question was asked, who is this written to? Who is the book of Proverbs written to? It is interesting because I read an article this week out of some journal, I forgot what it is, was, about wisdom literature in the, New Testo- in the Old Testament and how it fits into the whole discussion of salvation. Because sometimes you could begin to get the idea that what it's talking about is if I do these things, if I do this list of things, I'm in. And it's easy to become the Pharisee and start making your list, oh, if I follow that proverb, if I follow that proverb, if I follow that proverb, I'm in. But there's a problem with that. There's a problem with it, and it comes in verse 10. You ready for it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you look at all the other wisdom literature that exists in the world, and there's a lot of it, everyone from Benjamin Franklin to Confucius to who knows who, have sat down and written words of wisdom. They have. I mean, you get to a certain age, and you want to tell people, this worked, this didn't work. Okay? And if you've lived a half-decent life, you should be able to come up with a list. This worked, and this didn't work. The difference is that wisdom from a biblical perspective, begins with the fear of the Lord. an awe, a recognition of who God is and where does that come from? Where does that come from? It comes from God giving it to you. You see, if you and I stood here and waited until we were living wise lives before we came to Christ, we would be waiting a long, 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 long time. But when we accept the wisdom that is Christ, the wisdom that says, I am a sinner, I am in need of a Savior, and I cannot do it on my own, then God says, I'll work with that because that is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. Without doubt, her observation is it begins with parents teaching their children. We left off in verse 6. Let's cover the rest of the chapter Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. We had a lesson about rebuke. None of us like being rebuked. None of us. But if you read the book of Proverbs, you begin to see that how you respond to a rebuke is an indicator of of your desire to seek after wisdom. Why? Because none of us are perfect. Shall we have a show of hands to see who disagrees with that? If you disagree with that, we need to go back to some more verses. None of us is perfect. All of us do foolish things at times, and we need someone to come up beside us and say, that's not a very smart thing you're doing. At that moment, when they say, that's not a very smart thing you're doing, how do we respond? And we see two responses here. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Who is the mocker? The mocker is the one who looks at the word of God and says, oh, only a fool would believe that. If you come to him and say, don't follow that down that path, he's going to what? He's going to insult you. You're a fool for believing that. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. They're not interested in your opinion about what is right and wrong with their life. Who are you, they say, to tell me what to do? Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. But rather, rebuke a wise man and he will love you. This is both a path on how to be wise... That is, responding well to a rebuke. And it is an indicator that you're on the path to begin with. And my problem is, I don't like people telling me I'm wrong. We could have a show of hands on that. How many love being... No. We believe that the idea of a rebuke only applies to children. Don't we? Okay. We Most of us have some idea that it's okay to tell a child you're going the wrong direction. But after that child gets to a certain age, no, 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 you can't tell them what to do. The wise person is looking for instruction, correction. I mean, it's like this, the example that I used when we talked about the rebuke. You're on some sports team, okay? I mean, lots of people were on sports teams at some point in their life. And you had a coach. The coach's job was to tell you how to do that particular activity better. Now, if the first time the coach opened his mouth, you said, who are you to tell me what to do? I'm not going to listen to you. you wouldn't be on the team very long because that is his function. That is his job to tell you how to do that. And when you join the team, you are submitting to that instruction. Now, you can argue whether he's nice about it or mean about it, but, you know, in one sense that doesn't matter. Is what he's saying Helping you improve in what you're trying to accomplish? Is it helping you to reach the end goal? Now, whether he's mean about it may affect his soul, but that's a whole different story. How do we respond when individuals, when situations, when things we read rebuke us and tell us we're going down the wrong path? It is both a path to wisdom and an indicator that we are on the right path. In order to get wisdom, you have to have wisdom. This kind of sounds like a couple of parables that Jesus had. "To To him who has some, more will be given. That's the indication. That's what wisdom is like. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. Who is it that is learning wisdom? Those who have already started down the path. How do we start down the path? The grace of God working in our lives. We start down the path when we have parents that teach us. We start down the path when we have friends that teach us. We start down the path when we have God working in our heart, instructing us that we are going down the wrong path and we need to seek after wisdom. And once we acknowledge that, once we begin, then we're in the position to learn more and more. Memorize verse 10. Memorize it. If you want to use the nice biblical, write it on your forehead, so that when you write it backwards on your forehead, so when you look in the mirror in the morning, you see it. No, don't do that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. As I said, this is what separates biblical wisdom literature from all the other wisdom literature that exists out there. And by the way, some of it is quite good. Some of it is interesting. Some of it would probably help us. But true wisdom has as its foundation an understanding of who God is and what God expects of each and every one of us. That's where wisdom begins. Without that, you're seeking after something else. And we do. We seek after a lot of different things. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've already seen that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We saw that in chapter 1. A couple of weeks ago that we saw the fear of the Lord is to hate that which is evil. This idea continues to pop up. It is not some accidental thing that was tacked on to an otherwise wonderful book of pithy sayings. It is integral to understanding the world as it really is, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the holy one is un- knowledge of the Holy One is understanding for through me, your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, your wisdom will reward you. if you're a mocker, you alone will suffer once again. we see the path following wisdom brings with it its own reward. Following the path of being a mocker brings about with it suffering. Turn, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 8. As we finish the introduction, actually Matthew chapter 7, as we finish the introduction to the book of Proverbs, we need to remind ourselves of what Christ told us Matthew 7, verse 24. This should be very familiar to all of us. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. We can study the book of Proverbs and we can think about it and we can think about how it applies to our neighbor. We can think about how it applies to our children. We can think about how it applies to politician XYZ. And we will be fools. The wise man is the one who hears the words and puts them into practice. Changes their behavior based on the wisdom that God has revealed to them. The fool hears the words and as we're told elsewhere looks in the mirror, sees his reflection and says so what and turns and walks away. No effect. Then the storms come. Notice a couple of things. First off, the storms are going to come. It doesn't say if, it says when. Notice that they're ex- the exact same storms that come to the wise and come to the foolish. The storms are there, they are going to come. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The, re- the difference is what is the nature of the foundation? The wise person has built his foundation on the rock. The fool has built his foundation on sand. And when the storms come, one collapses and one doesn't. It is the lesson that Christ taught on the Sermon on the Mount. It is the lesson that we learn from the book of Proverbs. As we start next week looking at the individual Proverbs, it will be so easy, so easy To sit there and think, ooh, I like that one. George needs that one. Fred needs that one. Oh, I know somebody who could really use that one. We need to look at our own lives. We need to look at our own lives so that we are in a position to then guide others down the path of wisdom. When Jesus finished saying these things... The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Why did he speak as one who had authority? Because he was God. Because he was God and because he was wisdom. He was wisdom incarnate. We are called to seek after wisdom, not wisdom that is some abstract, obtuse thing ...that you only learn by sitting on the mountain contemplating your navel. We are to seek after wisdom personified in the person of Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord drives us to an understanding of our sin. Our sin drives us to an understanding of our need for a Savior. And God, in his love, sent Jesus to be that Savior to give us the wisdom so that we could learn to live life as God would have us do it. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that we need to learn. Forgive us when we still act like fools. Forgive us for seeking after so many other things in this world. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.